Luke chapter 8. Verse 22, now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into his ship with his disciples and he said unto them, what did he say? Let us go over to the other side of the lake. They launched forth, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. There came down a storm of wind on the lake. and They were filled with water. And this is the truth now. They were in jeopardy. That's a very serious word in translation. They were in jeopardy. They were in trouble. They were in trouble. But the trouble that was coming in on them was not greater than the master that was riding with them already. They were in jeopardy. They came to him and they awoke him saying... Notice this, they did it twice. When you see something in your Bible twice, it means bada boom. They were for real. Master, master, we perish. Then he arose, rebuked the wind, the raging of the water, and they ceased. Somebody read this last fragment to me right here. What's it say? There was a calm. I feel that on the horizon, don't you? There's a calm coming. There was a calm. Verse 25 is where we're going to draw our text tonight. He said to them, where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, what manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. He commands the winds and the water, and they obey him. As a child growing up, I would read this scripture, and I would hear this scripture preached. And at first, the vernacular of this verse doesn't really grab hold of the human mind just in quick glance of reading. They, being afraid, wondered, so it leads you to believe they've got questions in their mind. But I heard the question preached all my life. What manner of man is this that even the winds and waves obey him? But I want you to look at this with me very quickly, if you would. He said, they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, what manner of man is this? Does anybody see a question mark on that? It's an exclamation point. What manner of man is this? They weren't asking a question. They were making a statement. There is a moment of transition in your faith where you stop asking questions and you just start declaring who he is. And that's where we're at tonight. That's where we've got to be. So for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you from the simple subject, no question. No question, you may be seated in Jesus' name. Now, what I'm going to preach to you tonight, you have probably heard preached by me and a thousand others. If you've been around the church at all, you've probably heard it preached a thousand times. But what I'm going to preach to you tonight is a principle that you have got to have revived in your spirit. The last... 
two months plus has been one of the most trying times in our present society. The first few days of cuss word 19 was pandemonium in the earth. People, honest to God, did not know if they opened their front door, if the virus was on their front yard and going to jump through their front door and eat them. It was scary. There was pandemonium everywhere. I mean, media sure didn't help. If you turned on the news at all, the very first thing you heard within the first 15 seconds is COVID-19. Somebody else has died. So-and-so's got it now. This movie star's got it. This politician's got it. And on and on and on and on and on. And it's really hard to hear that and see that and not get emotionally connected to the thought and the idea that this is real. I mean, it's happening. We were staying connected, whether just by social media or by phone with uh, our church family members that were working in the hospitals and and uh, we were praying for them. We were afraid for them. We have people that work in the funeral business, the funeral industry, and, and they, man, they were afraid. And um, we didn't know if we were dealing with another bubonic plague that it was going to jump off of, off of deceased people. And I began to watch our human race as... We did what was perfectly normal for us to do, that when we were surrounded by that much craziness, we started to lock up. And I'm not even talking about just church people. It's really strange. I don't know if any of you have noticed this. Of course, the first couple of weeks, I was very, very limited to what traveling in and out of stores I did. You know, we didn't know what was going to happen, but I noticed there was a shift in the spirit of humanity that when you would walk into a store, people were literally afraid, and still are, to even look at you. I mean, you would walk past people with masks on. You can't tell if they're smiling, if they're mad. Their eyes are full of fear. And... Um, I would walk into stores. The, the first week of this, it had warmed up. I'm not going to stay slow for a real long time, but I'm laying some groundwork here. The first week of the virus after we had canceled church, um, it had warmed up really good. And so things started pollinating that week. And I have seasonal allergies every year. And so my nose started dripping a little bit and my throat got a little scratchy. And I had this aggravating little... <coughs> You know, just this little, <coughs> this little cough. And I had to go to CVS one day and was walking around the house, told my wife, getting dressed, I said, I want to go to CVS and see if they got ramen or whatever it was I was looking for. And uh, I said, all I'm going to have to do is walk in there and get one of these little goofy allergy coughs <coughs> to clear my throat. And I'm about to clear out CVS. And I, walk, I walked in there, 
and they had whatever it was I, I was looking for. I think it was soup, noodles, and whatever, just snacks. We never went without, ever, never. I mean, not not once. I don't, I don't, you know, our. I wish I could somehow tonight take this video clip right here and take it to every manager of every grocery store, pharmacy, and whatever in this community. Thank you for working so hard to keep us stocked up. I'm not going to speak for everybody. But like We never went out without toilet paper. Nothing. Nothing. We never went without anything. There were, when I wanted bologna, I had bologna. When I wanted Doritos, I had Doritos. We've never went without a thing. And I'm grateful for all the people, even the people in this church that work. Uh, we have uh, several here that work in, in that industry. Brother Williams at Payless. And, uh, man, people working hard around the clock to be sure that we had stuff. But I, I walked into CVS that day, and I, I purchased my items, and I noticed workers came, and they kind of looked around the corner, and they stood for me to Brother Stephen. They said, sir, do you need help finding anything? And I'm like, no, I'm okay. Thank you. And I, I walked up to the cash register, and the guy had been over there stalking, and he he came running up in a hurry like I was going to get mad and cuss him out. And he was like, I'm so sorry about your weight, sir. I'm like, no problem, buddy. I'm not going anywhere for six months. We're fine. And he comes up behind there, uh, and he, he starts looking at all my stuff. And he goes to reach for it and put it in a bag. And he was like, do you want me to bag this for you? Or would you, would you rather do it? I'm like, well, dude, you put it out on the shelf. You know, I mean... You've been touching everything in here. So you're not going to hurt me. Take my ramen noodles and stick them in the bag. You know what I'm saying? And he was all, all gloved up and everything. And you're just real twitchy, real, real nervous. And, and I'm like, man, are you okay? Is everything all right? You know, you, are you doing okay? Is your family doing good? I didn't know the guy. He said, man, we're doing good, but I'm, I'm, I'm thankful I got a job. I'm, I'm really thankful I got a job. They've been keeping me busy, but I'm scared. I'm scared to go home at night. And I just kind of looked at him kind of funny. He said, I'm scared to go home at night, man. I don't want to, I'm around people all day. I don't want to hurt anybody. And that's when I realized this was, this was for real in the hearts of people. Like there is a sincere fear in the hearts of people. And so this week as we got into Focus 52, and I was reading uh, this verse, this, this chapter, this segment of this chapter and it said that they got onto the boat and then all of a sudden the atmosphere changed. And it said they feared because they were in jeopardy. I looked at this chapter a little differently than I had before because I know what it's like to look in the eyes of people right now that are afraid. But if I could lift your faith at all tonight in the introduction of what I'm getting ready to preach to you. I want to tell you that the very same thing that Jesus said to his disciples that night still carries weight here today. Before they ever got in the boat and pushed off from the shore and the first drop of rain fell and the barometric pressure changed and the winds began to blow, he made a statement to them and he said, let us go to the other side. I want to tell you that that word that dripped from his tongue was not predicated on the storm. It was not predicated on the vessel. 
It, re- it wasn't even predicated on their faith. The bottom line is he said it and he meant it. And he said to them, we're going to the other side. And I want to tell this church family tonight, when he said, lo, I am with you always. That meant I'm with you before COVID. I'm with you during COVID and I'm with you after COVID. I have come tonight to speak against the spirit of fear that has whispered in your ear. I know it feels like we're in jeopardy, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I speak peace to you. And I tell you that he is with you. He is standing with you. He is with your family. God is with us. Psalm 23 has been very encouraging to me during this process. And I talked about it some online during, during the uh, time that we were away. But it's really amazing how David approached the thought of the valley of the shadow of death being a true place of fear. It's a place that really exists. I talked about it, that it's a road that passes from uh, Jerusalem to get to Jericho. There was a place that you would go through, a, a, a tall canyon that people were robbed and beaten and, and sheep were stolen from shepherds and shepherds were beaten. And it's believed that this is the, the road that Jesus was referring to in his parable of the Good Samaritan. When the man was going to Jericho and they beat him and, and whatever, you get, you get the drift. But when David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he was talking about a real place. And that's why I want it to be known that the fear that you and I have experienced, this is a real place. It's a real place when entire nations are shut down. It's a real place when entire cities are locked up. I know that there's been... A lot of controversy that's gone back and forth as to are we moving too fast or are we moving too slow? People are starving to death, people committing suicide, whatever. You know what? That becomes irrelevant at this moment because I'm telling you it's been a real place. People are, are tormented on what decisions they should make. I wish I could have saved the barrel of tears that I wept when we closed the doors of this church. And I asked the Lord then, I said, did I sin against you, God, by, by closing the doors? Did I not operate in faith did I miss the mark somehow and the Lord spoke so clearly to me and gave me comfort and this is what I want you to know church that the Lord spoke very clearly to your pastor when I questioned had I missed God and the Lord said son the thing that troubles me is not people that have responded out of not knowing what to do so they just did what they knew to do he said the thing that troubles my soul and this is part of what I'm doing in the earth the separation is the people that it did not vex their soul at all to lock the door of the church and not even care when the doors open back up. He said, I want you to look at the people at FPC. And our last night together was a Thursday night prayer meeting that we were together. And when I stood before you weeping and said, we're going to have to close the doors for the next 15 days and see what happens. The people in this room began to weep. It broke the heart of this church that we had to close the doors for a few days, and we responded the best that we knew how to respond. But what God was looking at was the heart of people in the midst of fear and pandemic. They said, yea, though I walk through a real place, it is the valley of the shadow of death. It's a real place, and the fear is real. But I will fear no evil, because thou art with me. I want to tell you tonight, disciples, whether you're on a boat 
or you're walking through a real place, the fear can feel very real. But he is with us. He is for us. He is standing with us. He has not forsaken us. He has not forgotten us. God is for us. God is with us. He has not left us. I say to you that the power of this story are the red letters that are written in the beginning of this segment. Let us go to the other side. The word was spoken, but the word was not received. When he said, let us go, it's easy for us to lose sight of what he's already told us. When the, when the waves start crashing and the lightning starts flashing, I understand that. But let's just remember that in this shakable world, there is still a foundation that's unshakable. And it is the word of God. And that's why tonight we are not a church that was afraid to open the doors back up. Because we don't rely on entertainment. We don't rely on being a community club. Yes, we've got a coffee house. We've got a cafe. But that's not why we're here. We're not here to be a cafe. We're not here to be a book club. We're not here to be a community club. We are a Bible preaching church. And we stand on the word of God. And we believe that if he's on this vessel, we're going to make it. As they sailed, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake. And they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. Now, some people ask the question, how much do we have to take before God says enough is enough? Anybody else ever ask that? I want you to look at this verse with me, okay? Verse number 23, the storm came down and they were filled with water. I want you to just walk down this simple elementary kindergarten path with me for just a moment. How full does something have to be before it's filled? I mean, we're, we're not, there's no trickery. They were filled with water. That means they were full. That means the vessel had taken all it could take. They were at the point of no return. They were filled with water. And they were in jeopardy. There was no doubt. It was, it was filled. How much is enough? How full does the vessel have to get? Before he wakes up. Now just walk this road with me right here. The vessel was full. They were in jeopardy. But nothing moved Jesus until they called on him. It was not the storm that woke him up. It was not the full vessel that woke him up. It was the cries of his people that said, Master, Master. Do you know what America needs right now? We don't need a vaccine. We need an awakening. We need somebody that will stand up and say, Jesus, we're calling on you. We need a revival. We need to awaken Jesus in this nation. We've got to have a wake up. Master. 
You Pentecostals are crazy. You're all emotional. It's about emotionalism. You don't, you don't have to scream like that and dance like that and shout like that. You don't have to do all that stuff. Just curious what your opinion is about this when uh, the scripture said that they came to him, awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Anybody get a mental picture of that when you read that, that they walked up and said, mm, excuse me, Jesus, excuse me, hey, hey, can you wake up here and talk to me, Jesus? What, what kind of mental picture do you get out of that? I'm seeing a bunch of dudes that have tied a piece of their robe around their head to try to keep water out of their eyes, and they got buckets, and they're throwing water out of the bucket, and they're I say, oh, my Lord, we're full, we're full, we're full, and they're all busy working, and they turn around, and somebody says, he's still sleeping back there. They're doing it, and as they're doing all they can do, throwing the water out, one of them speaks up and says, Master, Master, Master. And the Bible said that Jesus woke up. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying the picture I get is that they were doing all they could do. And when you've done all that you can do and you realize it's still not enough, that's when you realize he is more than enough. I feel like preaching on Wednesday night. When you've done all that you can do and your vessel is still running over, there is a God that's able to meet you. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that you could ask or even think. Baby, keep on throwing the water out if that's what you want to do. But in the process of doing what you know to do, call on Jesus. Call on Jesus. Now this is probably up for the debate for debate in the minds of some. But as I said to you, the storm is not what woke him up. They came to him and woke him up. And my point is very simply this. Jesus said, let us go to the other side. And then the storm hit. I think some people are waiting on our world to get bad enough to wake God up. I really do. I really think people are waiting on the world to just get so bad that finally the Lord just wakes up in the heavens. We know he don't sleep or slumber, but just wake up and say, oh, I've had enough of this. I'm going to come down there and judge the earth. And all the time the Lord's saying, rain don't bother me. Now, wind don't bother me. I'm looking for faith in the middle of the storm. I'm looking for somebody that knows how to call on me. Look, this is what America has to realize. He is our only hope in this end time. If we are ever going to see the rapture of the Lord, it's going to be because we speed up the process and not God. I believe that the bride sets the date for the wedding. And I believe the Lord is waiting for us to realize we've been trying to do this on our own for long enough and sometimes we feel like we're still sinking. Wake up, church. Wake up, America. It's time to put Jesus at the center of what we're doing. It's not about how big your vessel is or how much water you can handle. We've got the fix for this problem in the American church. Our vessel keeps getting full, so we just build a bigger vessel. Oh, my, my, my. 
You know, what we see going on here in this process is very similar to what happened when David became the king and there was no glory behind the veil. The Ark of the Covenant was gone, able to go through the protocols, but no power behind the veil. No glory, no power. They could offer sacrifices. They could pass by the altar, the laver, get inside to the golden candlestick, table of shoe bread, altar of incense. But when you got deeper into the spiritual things, the presence of God wasn't there, and David wasn't happy about that. So he goes to Obed's house and brings it back. It's a long story. We don't have time to preach tonight. But the important thing to David, the point that I'm trying to make to you tonight, is the understanding that without his presence involved in it, it doesn't matter how big your vessel is, the storm will always be greater than the vessel. It's things that are beyond your control, storms that you can't control, things that you cannot fix. And until we learn that we must have his presence We must have his glory. We must have his hand on us. I'm sorry tonight if this rubs you the wrong way. But I could not wait for us to get back in here and and be together and all that. But I didn't just miss the fellowship with you. I didn't just miss shaking hands with you. I didn't just miss bumping fists with you. I didn't just miss seeing you. I miss what happens when we come together and the glory of God is here. I don't want to just be another community club that calls ourselves Pentecostal in the 21st century. I want his glory to be here. I want to recognize his presence in the vessel. We're going to sink if we don't have it. My God, I don't want to be a part of no powerless church. The worst thing that could happen to us is for us to get back to normal. Well, that'd been a good place for somebody to say amen. It'd be a bad thing for us as the church to get back to normal. I don't want you to worship like you worshiped before this thing came here. I don't want you to witness like you witnessed before this thing got here. I want the pressure to be coming on us. This is one more sign that moves us closer to the coming of the Lord. This is one more sickness in the earth that's moving us closer to the coming of the Lord. If you joined me last night on the broadcast, I began to talk about Matthew 24. And I talked about the pestilences in the earth, the famines in the earth, the earthquakes in the earth. That it's a plural word for all three of those. That there will be multiples. And I began to wonder what it's going to look like if the Lord withholds his coming. Another 25 or 30 years. How many more pestilences do we have to go through? How many more storms do we have to go to before the North American church rises up to our feet and declares in Jesus' name, it's never been about us. It's about the one that's in the vessel with us. We've got enough. Hollywood preachers out there that are building churches on their own name and their charisma. And I've told you through the years in this church that I don't want this church to be built on my personality. I don't want this church to be built on my charisma. I don't want this church to be built on my name. 
I want this church to bring glory to his name. It's not about me standing behind this pulpit because here's the truth. I appreciate you loving me and I appreciate you holding me in high esteem. But what I want you to know is that if I don't have him, I can't preach worth a flip. If I, can't, if I don't have him, I can't lead worth a flip. It's not me. It's the wisdom of God that's working in me. I don't want to preach without anointing. I don't want to preach without wisdom. I don't want to have church without the Holy Ghost. Dear God, we've got to get beyond ourselves. It's not about how good we look. It's not about how many we run. It's not about who's got the nicest building. We've got to have revival. We've got to have revival. There are vessels that are sinking. We've got to acknowledge his presence. We've got to acknowledge his presence. The Bible said they awoke him, and they said to him, here comes a little bit of Luke St. Clair faith for you. (laughs) Because their vessel was full, they went ahead and drew to their own conclusion. And they said, we perish. I'm going to get everybody uncomfortable for just a second, okay? So if you need to, loosen up your tie and... Shift to the other side in your seat. We'll make you uncomfortable. There have been times in my life that things I was going through. Oh boy. I'm going to go with you, Lord. There have been times in my life that the things I was going through at the moment, I thought for sure was going to sink me. But that was... My idea of what I was going through, not his. I'm trying to walk with you tonight. I want to tell you something, church. Please listen to pastor. I'm not saying we don't act like trouble does not exist. You don't have to act like there's absence of trouble to have revival. That's foolish. I've heard people say, oh, just act like trouble's not there. You can't just act like trouble's not there. It's real. But I'll tell you what we can do. We can choose how much life we give that trouble. And instead of waking up every day right now saying, oh, God, what if I get COVID today? I bet you all wish the choir was up here so I could preach to them, don't you? I'm going to tell you, church, I I understand people of this world in the midst of this crisis saying we perish. But I hadn't been able to wrap my mind around the church saying that. And I've heard it, man. I've heard it. Brother Stephen, I've seen it. Something happens. And... Folks that get bold and jump out there and say, I can't wait to go to church. And it won't be a worldly person that gets on there and posts on it. It's a church person that gets on there and says, I can't wait for the church doors to open. And another church person will come on there and say, I hope they don't open the doors for six more months. (laughs) So what we're doing right then is just, well, we perish. God's done with us. He's finished. 
This virus in the earth is by far greater than the end time revival that I had hoped to see. I guess I've seen it. All I'm going to see, and God's done all he's going to do, and I'm going to fold my little arms up, and I'm just going to die right here. We perish. God's, I guess God's done with the church. I guess God's finished with the church. I heard pastor preach all them years. We're going to see the greatest harvest we've ever seen, so I guess we're done. How many of you really, honest to God, believe that we were going to see breakthrough and harvest without a fight? We prayed, God, whatever it takes, wake our backslidden children up. Whatever it takes. You don't want to preach with me now. Whatever it takes, wake my backslidden family up. And a pandemic hits it, and boy, we hit the fan. Oh, we perish. They're looking to the church saying, where is your faith? Where did your faith go? What? It's a terrible thing to forget who's riding with us. We're not dying here. We're not perishing here. Oh, my, my. If I keep it up, I'm going to have to take another offering. Praise God. I think I preached enough for, preached long enough for two or three extra offerings Sunday night. Good grief. My mother said, surely he won't preach an hour. I said, surely not. Surely he did. I appreciate y'all putting up with it. Please understand me when I tell you, with all the compassion that I can, please, I'm not belittling anything. I, I don't, I, I'm trying to be very, very careful how I address this, and you know my heart and you know my motive. But there's going to come a day in the not so distant future that we're going to look back on this season that we're in right now and we're going to say, Phew, wasn't as bad as we thought it was. Come on, don't, don't forsake me now. Don't, you picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. Nobody's saying that your fear is not real. We've covered that. Nobody's saying what we've been through is not real. Listen, I've, I've seen blood-bought children of God that have lost their life during this deal. And I've also seen people healed of it. Come on, somebody. At some point, we have to shift our focus off of the storm that's around us and acknowledge his presence that's with us. Master, we perish. Do those really fit in the same sentence? Come on, I'm, I'm trying to help somebody here tonight. You realize who you just called on? Do you realize who you just connected with? And you're telling him how great the storm is? You're telling the master right now? You're telling him that you're dying? You're telling the master that you're perishing? Pastor, I think you're being too hardcore. Well, then Jesus was too hardcore. Because the, the very next verse, what was the question that he asked him? It's the only other red letters that show up in this segment of the chapter. What was the question, folks? Pastor, it's not a lack of faith because this is real. Hang on just a second. I've been preaching now about 30 minutes. We've already covered this. That storm was real. Those waves were real. It don't feel real to us because we were reading about it. And this isn't going to feel real to my grandkids when they read about the history of it. Well, 
Ain't nobody still around from the bubonic plague that you can go ask about it. But there's going to come a day that my kids are going to pick up their history book. And Brother Sean, they're probably going to get in their ACE paces and read through there and say, Oh, wow, that's crazy. My grandparents had to shut in their house for 40 days. Wow. But you know what? Nobody's going to be there to tell them. And I'm not here to be controversial tonight, but I want to speak to your faith. The first Sunday that we had to call off church here, they said that week that by the first week of April, or the first week of, yeah, the first week of April, that there would be 250,000 dead Americans. Man, we freaked out. And the first week of April, we were at like 30,000. Now, nobody's making light of the 30,000, but what we're doing, the more we progress, we're looking back on this and saying, oh, I just, I thought we were going to perish. But we survived. What, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying to this church that this isn't the first storm that we've weathered together, and it's not going to be the last storm that we're going to weather together. Come on, somebody. Jesus looked at them and said, where is your faith? If you look at the context of this verse, I wasn't there and I can't see it. But you have to understand the context of his question when he says, where is your faith? It's almost like you can picture Jesus standing there in the boat, looking at the waves and then at himself. And he goes, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Is your faith here or is your faith there? Is your faith here? Is your faith in the vessel? Where, hey, where's your faith, son? Is your faith here? Is your faith there? Is your faith here? Is in the storm? Because I know the master of the wind. I know the master of the wind. Where is your faith? I can't answer that question for you tonight, but I'm going to go ahead and answer that question for me. I have put my faith in a rock that will not move. I have put my faith in a firm foundation in which I've been established. I'm declaring to you tonight the storm may be real, but his presence is greater. His power is greater. He has not forsaken us. Oh! <laughs> the wind ceased. There was a calm. And he asked them in the calm, Where's your faith? I feel like I want to be crystal clear with you tonight. I have preached for many years from, from, from what I believe to be divine direction and ordered of the Holy Ghost that whatever is happening in the physical realm, there is a direct parallel in the spirit realm. And so when people looked at this and said, it's just, it's just a virus. I wanted them to know that the threat in the physical realm, there was a threat in the spiritual realm as well. And there was a great, great danger. 
I don't know how to do this quickly tonight, so let me do it as quickly as I can. I understand, please, y'all know, I, I made the decision we didn't meet. I, I understand all that. I'm thankful for it. But our goal was let's flatten the curve. How do we do that? By isolation. When they began to speak of words like isolation, I started seeing the spiritual parallel. That for five days, God created everything he created by the spoken word. Until the sixth day when he created man and he created man by his touch. God never spoke man into existence. He touched man into existence. And when they started saying isolation, listen, this scripture is misquoted and taken out of context a lot. The Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. That does not just mean he needs somebody to be married to. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. I created him with my touch and man needs touch. Do not ever underestimate the value of the body of Christ. When this was going on in the earth and words like isolation were going on, quarantine was going on, you know what I started seeing in the spirit? I started seeing people getting spiritually isolated. And when people get isolated, they're easily offended. John Baptist came to the earth with a revelation that no other man had. This is the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. This is Him. He takes away the sins of the world. He had the revelation. And when He got by Himself in prison, He sent His disciples and said, Go ask Him if what I've been believing is true. And Jesus looked at him and said, the blind are still seeing, the deaf are hearing, the dead are being raised. And he turns around and said, and blessed are they that are not offended in me. People wondered what they got to do with offense. What in the world? Jesus knew exactly what it was. Because offense always precedes deception. And offense comes in prisons of isolation. And I, that's why I was desperate to get this church back together again. Because the longer the enemy keeps us isolated, the more we begin to question, if I've made it this long on my own, is it still valuable for us? Man, if y'all can feel what I feel right now, I feel that sign in the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you right now, it is essential for the body of Christ to be together. It is. Oh, my, 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 my. I don't want this to be ugly or abrasive, but I wouldn't be worried if our governments were the only one questioning whether or not church was essential. But the problem is it wasn't just the governments, it's the churches. You know what that tells me? Isolation was working. Because the same thing that's going on in the flesh was happening in the spirit. 
Come on, folks, let's get real. It's Wednesday night. Pastor's trying to help you. The first couple weeks when you got up on Sunday morning, you may have at least put on a pair of khakis and a button-up shirt to watch me preach on your TV or your phone. By the end of it, you were eating Cheerios and sitting in your jammies watching church. Whether we realize it or not, we were questioning the essentiality of the body of Christ more and more as the weeks go. But when you walk through that back door on Sunday morning, all of a sudden you realize how essential it was. I watched some of you walk through the door and tears immediately begin to stream off your face. I begin to watch you walk through the doors and raise your hand. I'm telling you right now, brothers and sisters, it's essential for the body of Christ to be together. We're not perishing. We're not dying. We're not falling apart. We've got the master with us. I'm hurrying. I'm hurrying to a close. Where's your faith? I can't answer that for you tonight. But you've got to answer it for yourself. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? It's so easy for this kind of preaching to be misconstrued in times like this. Because people are saying that if you have fear at all, that you have denied your faith in Christ. He wasn't asking them about their faith because they were afraid. He was asking them about their faith because they said we're dying. That one statement that they made, we perish, master, master, we perish, was saying to him in that moment, what I'm facing is greater than you. And even in the absence Of their faith in that moment. He still calmed the waves. And calmed the wind. And then he told them to take personal inventory. He said where is. Man I wish I could have been there to see it. But my mind just works like this. I I feel like I could see it Sister Netta. I feel like I could see him just point at him on that boat and say, where's, where's your faith? Where's your, where's your faith? Where'd it go? Yeah, but Pastor Science, science says this, science says that. <laughs> I'm struggling right now, to be honest with you. Because science has been trying to disprove him since science became a thing. If you've ever studied science, they've tried to disprove his power since scientists became scientists. Oh, God. A conversation, I I hope I'm not breaching confidence here, Brother Lang, but we were talking about your wife when she walked into that room to see patients that could have been Plagued out. He said before she'd walk in that room. None of the science mattered anymore, Sister Carr, at that moment. Because that glory that was hanging down her back. Oh, you ain't you ain't trying to help me. 
She'd, she'd walk in there saying, the name of Jesus. I'm a daughter of God. <laughs> I know what the science is saying. But science can't explain what happened to you when you got buried in Jesus' name. Science can't explain what happened when you got filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, not asking, saying one to another. Changes everything when you take away the question mark. Because I've preached this before and said, oh, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and waves obey him like they're looking for some kind of an answer, you know. What manner of man is this? But there was no question. <laughs> when they woke him up, even in the midst of their failure, if you would, that momentary loss of faith when fear overtook them. He went ahead and did the work. And then mercy said, where's your faith? This wasn't an attack on their character. Man, Jesus was mean to them. About to die. Where's your faith, you big dummy? Oh, no, no, no. This was a work of mercy. That placid water right there was just a storm just a moment ago. Those waves were coming in this boat, but now they're calm. That wind was blowing you towards a wreck. Oh, God. But now it's calm. So now that the calm has come, I need you to solidify one thing in your life, disciples. Where is your faith? Where have you put your faith? And on the other side of that, folks, was a great revelation because they didn't ask a question. They made a statement. What manner of man is this? Oh, I can tell you emphatically with an exclamation point. What manner of man is this? That when I came up short in my fear and I in my faith had almost failed me. He didn't give up on me. He didn't quit believing in me. What manner of man is this? This is the man from Galilee. This is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the one that was sent from heaven. This is he that has come to calm the storm. Hallelujah. Let's stand tonight and declare his goodness. There is no question in my mind tonight. I know what manner of man he is. Hallelujah.
God's in church that praise is beautiful would you let it transition to worship where we realize it's not just about what he does it's about who he is oh my 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 What manner? Oh. I know that texting back and forth has kind of removed the power of, of, of text, of, of written things. Because now we'll text somebody and say, hey, how you doing? Or, hey, what's up? And do it with an exclamation. But in the translation of, of this writing from the Greek, there's a reason why the English translators put an exclamation. It wasn't said quietly. It wasn't said calmly. It was said emphatically. What manner? I'm glad I know who he is tonight. There is no question in my mind who he is tonight. I don't know when the virus is going away. I don't know when inoculations are coming. I don't know what medicines they're going to use. But I know what manner of man he is. I don't know what tomorrow holds. But I know who he is. Come on, let's praise him together. It feels so good to praise him in the house tonight. What manner of man you are. You're the reason we're here, Jesus. You're the reason we exist, Jesus. You're the reason why we praise. You're the reason why we shout. You're the reason why we dance. You're the reason why we have courage in the midst of tragedy. You are the reason we have victory. You are that manner of man. <laughs> 